Brothers and sisters, many of us here today have grown up in an immigrant community where hard work and the development of our skills was particularly important. And I'm sure that there are many of you at different stages in your working career who remember being on the job site for the first time. You'd been hired for the summer, perhaps, or as a new apprentice, and you arrived and excited and ready to accomplish great things. But on that first day of work, all you got to do was go for this and go for that. You ended up taking the coffee order for Tim's and being the brunt of the jokes by the crew. And to make matters even worse, there was another new guy on the crew who, together with yourself, was being asked to do all the running around and the grunt work. And he was bigger, stronger, and more confident than you were, relegating you to the very bottom of the pecking order. Now imagine being in that situation, and after several weeks, the boss comes along and says, I've got a job for you two. It's going to be a a tough job, it's going to be hard work, but I want to see what you can do because at the end of the summer, I'm going to need someone to stay on and learn the ropes. Perhaps go for apprenticeship training. There was lots of opportunity for the one who wanted to give it their all. And you could imagine that as young people, this situation provoked a lot of enthusiasm. But what the boss could not see initially was that the bigger, stronger, and more confident employee was not so sure he liked this kind of work. In his spare time, he was doing other jobs on the side. And so what we observe is that his interests and his ambitions were divided. And by the end of the summer, it showed. He was not willing to put all of his energy into the project that the boss had given him. And because he wasn't willing to give it his all at the end of the season, he was gone. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, life is like that. You need to give it your all in order to receive the reward. And you know what, brothers and sisters, that's sometimes how it is with your faith life, too. God's a gracious and a loving Father who holds out something far more valuable than a job opportunity. He's offering you salvation. He extends His covenant of love through the signs and seal of baptism, where He says, I will be your God and you shall be my people. But that offer of salvation requires your undivided response of faith. You need to believe in Him. And you need to believe in Him alone. A divided commitment simply won't cut it. And that's the problem that we are observing in Israel in the days of Elijah. They don't want to be wholly committed with heart, soul, and mind to the Lord. Now, they want to serve Baal too, 
They want to have one foot in each camp. And as a result of their divided loyalty under the leadership of Ahab, we heard last week that they had destroyed the monument at Jericho by rebuilding the wall that reminded them continually that they had entered the promised land only by the power of God. They showed that they no longer valued the message of God. And so God sends his prophet Elijah with words of judgment. It shall not rain. But worse, the bearer of Elijah, of the word of God, was called out of the promised land to live by the brook, to be fed by the ravens. If the people would not believe the word, they would not receive the word. They needed to give it all to receive it all. And what about us today? Preach to you God's word under the following theme. God sovereignly calls us to give it all or lose it all. We see God sovereignly directs the gospel message. God sovereignly applies the gospel message. And finally, God sovereignly upholds the gospel message. Dearly beloved, let's take stock of the situation that we find ourselves in in the text. Ahab and Israel had gone down that road to apostasy. They had watered down the gospel message to the point where the nation was serving both Yahweh and Baal. But the God of Israel is a jealous God. He's a, a holy God. He's a real God. And he wants the people to be committed to him. The holy God of Israel was not going to play second fiddle to Baal. It was nothing more than an idol made of stuff. A non-entity, really. No more than a figment of their imagination. And so he followed through on the judgment that he had announced back in Deuteronomy that if they turned from him to worship other gods, they would receive no rain. And we learned last time what rain meant for the physical well-being of the promised land was a shadow of what the word of God meant for the spiritual well-being of the people. And that this judgment was not just a physical removal of rain. No, we observed that God also sent the one faithful messenger of the gospel out of the promised land, across the Jordan to the other side. You see, brothers and sisters, God cannot be mocked. And we want to live with one foot in the world, serving the gods of this world, and still have one foot in the church. There will be pressure to change the gospel message so that the whole counsel of God will no longer be tolerated and proclaimed. When one wants to serve the gods of women's rights, then they no longer want to hear the gospel message that the ruling offices of the church are exclusively for men. When one wants to serve the god of materialism, they no longer want to hear that setting aside time for worship and Bible study are very important, more so than endless work. 
when one wants to serve the God of entertainment. They no longer want to hear that their time is the Lord's and that their gifts and talents are to be used in service to God and to His people. When one wants to serve the God of multiculturalism, they no longer want to hear that the other religions of this world are living in rebellion against the one true God. And finally, when one wants to serve the God of popularity, they no longer want to hear that they must bear witness in word and deed with a life that shines forth their Christian identity. Even if it subjects them to ridicule and scorn. And of course, there are many other gods. I could go on, brothers and sisters. There are countless gods that are competing for your affections. And one way to know whether one of those gods is gaining a foothold in your heart is whether the message of the one true God is beginning to offend you. What is the message of Scripture that you personally no longer want to face? That you'd rather not... Here proclaimed from the pulpit, where is your commitment waning? Because the warning of Scripture that we are encountering in our text is that if we have divided hearts, then the gospel message will be taken away. That's how God dealt with Israel back in the days of Elijah. That is what he warns the churches in the seven churches of Revelation chapter 2. The lampstand upon which the oil burned will be taken away. We know that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We also know that the Spirit works through the Word. And so if we briefly look at that illustration of Revelation, to take away the lampstand would be to take away the faithful proclamation of the gospel message. And so what's happening in Israel, the Old Testament church, is, is still relevant for us today. Now let's return to our text. Elijah, the one faithful preacher of God's word, had been called out of Israel and was living beside the brook Cherith. And as the drought wore on, the water of the stream dried up. But what we're going to learn is that God's not finished yet. Not only has he removed the gospel message from Israel, but God has intentions to sovereignly send it somewhere else. You see, God's plan for the gospel message, brothers and sisters, will not be set aside by the sins of his people. And so the Lord directs Elijah to move on. We read, then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. You must wonder about that command. Elijah's jaw must have hit the floor. Sidon, of all places, this was where Jezebel, the wicked queen who had zealously promoted idolatry in Israel, had been born and raised. It was Baal Central. 
The divine irony is absolutely startling, brothers and sisters. While the people of Yahweh were busy turning from God's word toward Baal, God takes his message from them and he brings it to the people of Baal and to the heart of heathendom. And what's more is that God directs him to a widow. One of the most vulnerable people in society. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Why does God send him to the widow in the land of Baal? What does our text tell us about this widow? First, we know that she's not escaped the effects of the drought that was upon the land. In fact, she's, she's in dire straits. She tells Elijah, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare some food for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Clearly, this widow living in the land of Baal was not receiving any divine protection from the God of the land of Sidon. Baal was supposedly a god of fertility and rain that was responsible for the growth of the crops that fed the people. And yet here was this woman destitute and on death's door. The widow of Zarephath is a living example of what happens to those who trust in other gods. In the end, when life ebbs away, They are left empty and without hope. Beloved, remember the symbolism of the land. The land of Canaan. Which represented the heavenly inheritance of Israel. This widow, outside of that covenant land of God, was more than just physically destitute. She was also spiritually dead. The idols had given her nothing but a bitter end to life and the prospects of eternal death. And of all things, this is what Israel wants to embrace. They wanted to exchange the wonderful covenant promises of the living God for the false hopes of Baal, who had left the most destitute in his service in utter despair. And beloved, that's where everyone ends up who wants to embrace the gods of this world who are really no gods at all. In the end, when they are on death's door, there's nothing left but bitterness and despair. All hope is gone. But God directs the gospel message to her. He sends his prophet with the word of God. Why? Because Israel no longer wants to hear it. And that brings us to our second point. God sovereignly applies the gospel message. Brothers and sisters, God's gospel plan always succeeds. He is sovereign. You get a sense of this when at the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19, the crowds call out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees respond with their rebuke by telling Jesus to rebuke the crowd. But that's not what Jesus does. 
No, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. God will sovereignly direct and apply the message of salvation. It will not be diverted by the sinful actions and rebellion of men. And that's what we see unfolding in our text. Israel had turned and they were abandoning God's covenantal plan, but such actions could never stifle the word of God. No, God now sends the word to an unlikely candidate, the poor widow of Zarephath. And even before Elijah arrives on the scene, God told the prophet, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. It's not clear how that command was given. Scripture doesn't tell us more. But it doesn't seem to have been a direct command, since when Elijah arrives on the scene, she doesn't immediately assume her her task, but needs some prompting by the prophet. And so this command by God seems to be something more subtle. Perhaps God was working a receptive heart in the woman, so that she was able to receive the message she was about to hear. And isn't that, brothers and sisters, sometimes how God leads those He has chosen to receive the gospel message? Not on the road of joy and prosperity, but rather through the trials and the struggles that mount like crushing weight upon the soul of the lost. Those who have come to death's door and all illusions of hope are gone. Then the word of God comes. And God applies the gospel message with that call to faith. Convicting the listener that they have nothing to offer to him. And yet God graciously holds out life. The life-giving message of the gospel. And with empty hands they open them to receive that gift of salvation. And that's exactly what takes place next in our text. Elijah comes. And immediately upon meeting the widow, he calls her into her service with a very small request. Our text records that when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. From verse 11, we know that she recognized what sort of a man Elijah was. She knows that he worships Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God of of her enemies, And yet she willingly goes to get the water. And given this very small step of obedience in response to the prophet of God, Elijah, the gospel messenger of Yahweh, now asks for it all. Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. One might wonder if Elijah actually knew what he was asking. Because from the widow's response, we can surmise that what he was asking was all that she had to sustain her own life and that of her son. In a rather heart-wrenching response, she says to the prophet, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and die. You could imagine what she must have been thinking. 
you're asking for everything. It's all I have left. And you want me to bake bread for you, to put you first. And the prophet's response confirms exactly that. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. Doesn't it seem rather selfish on the prophet's part? Because indeed, he was calling this starving widow to serve him in his needs first. My beloved, as a prophet of God bearing the message of God, it was not the prophet himself who wanted to be first. No, God was calling the woman to trust in him. Not the prophet, but the God whom the prophet proclaimed. And Yahweh wants to be first. He wants her to give it all, to believe in him and to trust in him as the one true God. And that call on her life did not come up without a promise. No, if she were willing to give it all, then the promise would be that she would receive it all from the God of Israel. In verse 14, God says that if you give it all to me, you will not end up like those who've given it all to Baal. No, this is the promise that comes with your faithful response. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. God was promising to preserve her life. But we need to understand that receiving life from God was about more than just receiving your daily bread. It also meant life for her soul. And beloved, that is wonderful news for us this morning, for the broken and the downtrodden of this world. Because the gospel message that went first to Israel in similar fashion has now gone out to the whole world. Even in Jesus' day, the Jews were not willing to accept the message. We read in Luke 4, 25 and 26, are reading, but in truth I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And we see Paul the Apostle Paul picks up on this in Romans 11 where he shows that because of the trespasses of the Jews salvation had come to the Gentiles. Romans 11:11 11, 11, we read through their trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And that's what's happening here already back in the days of Elijah. God sent his message to the sinful nation aside and who had come to the brink of despair through their embrace of the false worship of Baal. And God was going to send the message back to Israel in due time. 
by his prophet Elijah to confront them with this very event. Look, Baal did nothing for these people. But look what I did for this poor widow left destitute by their false religion. Through the gospel message of salvation, she has received life and protection at my hand. A promise I made to you, the nation of Israel, that you have abandoned. And that message needs to inform us, brothers and sisters, in our own thinking. Look at the promises of the gospel. Look at how much the church, the Israel of today, has received. Do we take it for granted so much so that we have one foot in the world and one in the church? Are we worshipping the Baals of our own modern times in addition to our own God? Are we being naive about the spiritual brokenness and despair that exists among those that have embraced all of those false gods? A brokenness that leaves them deeply in need of the one true God. What God says to those that are willing to give it all, fear not. I will preserve you. Take what little you have and commit it to me, and I will keep you in my care. And that is what the widow does in a simple act of faith, which we read in verse 15, where it says, she went and did as Elijah said. And with the gospel message applied in her life, we see the wonderful results. Immediately, God fulfills his promises. And that brings us to our final point. God sovereignly upholds the gospel message. Brothers and sisters, when we evaluate the state of utter despair in which the widow of Zarephath found herself, your your heart breaks a little bit. She was on the verge of death. And not just her own death, but also the death of her son, her child. All her hopes in the God of Sidon had been dashed. And then a very unexpected event takes place. She's offered the protection of the God of her enemies, the God of Israel. And that message compels her to embrace Elijah's God as her God. She could see the hope of the gospel message. But hope is a funny thing, brothers and sisters. Proverbs 13, verse 12 speaks about hope like this. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When we are in deep despair, when we're struggling, we want our hopes met now. To wait produces anxiety. And our God shows his love for this lowly widow. Doesn't leave her hanging. No, with an immediate response to her needs, immediately after giving it all and responding in faith, God provides from his rich abundance. Meeting all the needs of her and her family. And this, in his gift of life, Brothers and sisters, just keeps on giving and giving. There's no end to its abundance. Verse 15 and 16 says, She went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, 
neither did the jug of oil become empty. And what we read happening in the physical life of the widow reveals to us a deep spiritual truth that we can take with us today. When we receive the word of the Lord in faith and we commit our lives to his service, then our hopes are not distant realities. No, our hope for the future is realized right here and now, immediately. Where once we were on the pathway to eternal death, we have now entered into eternal life. Once we have entered upon the road of salvation, God's blessings just keep on coming like a never-ending stream. Jesus says to another foreigner, estranged from Israel, the Samaritan woman in John 4 verse 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Like the jar of oil that never ran out, our God meets our spiritual needs with a never-ending stream of living water that wells up to eternal life in Jesus Christ. We need to give it all to receive it all. And this miracle of life rested upon the Word of God. The covenant God of Israel is always true to His Word. Our text concludes with an affirmation of this truth. That everything that happened was according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Beloved, God called the widow of Zarephath to a living faith in the one true God through his word, delivered by the prophet Elijah. And he did so as an urgent reminder to Israel and to us that faith in the one true God requires your complete commitment. There is no room for a compromised faith. If you turn to Him in faith, committing all of your life to Him, then you've already received the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is yours. But realize this, that it is only yours through the grace of God. It is only yours because your loving God and His sovereign grace calls, directs, and applies and upholds the gospel message of salvation. To sit under the faithful preaching of the word is a true blessing. Amen.